What's up, guys? Welcome to another edition of GCC Radio. My name is Ethan Kaplan. And I'm Joe Henry. And we're super excited to dive in this week and cover your latest news and updates in and around the blockchain ecosystem. As always, this is not financial advice. We were by no means experts. However, our mission is to take our experience in the space and use what we've learned to educate you guys on all things Web3, crypto, and blockchain. Welcome to session three of GCC Radio. Today we got a lot of things to cover, um, especially considering after the recent events that have happened with Russia and Ukraine. Um, there's just a lot of stuff to happen or to cover, uh, but obviously there's a lot of things going on that are bigger than crypto, so we don't want to uh, minimize those things. And we're, we're just going to cover on how it affects the market um, and just some other things going around and around the blockchain ecosystem for you guys. Yes, a lot of topics to cover today, and you know this is by no means exhaustive. So, you know, this is just like the bare minimum of things that have happened this week. All right, so uh, first slide, you know, we were gonna talk about crypto as an inherently individualist versus collectivist technology. And so this was discussed in the ETH Denver conference, but basically, you know, it's hard to distinguish crypto as an individualist technology that allows for an absence of state control and for the permission of free markets and the a freedom of an individual based on liberation from a centralized entity versus a collectivist society where the community is contributing to a collective network that is allowing for the further development of the technology and a transition to a more common good. And so, you know, a, a lot of perspectives can be given on this, but in my opinion, I think that crypto as a whole is neither individualist or collective. And you know, I, I think it stems from really just viewing individuals as part of the collective. And so, you know, yes, crypto grants individuals sovereignty from a centralized entity, but at the same time, they're making up this collective whole of the crypto community, which is generating value for the blockchain and creating something on top of layer one solutions, which is creating more and more value for society as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I would just definitely say that like, there's an economic and a social incentive to crypto, right? From a social standpoint, we want to be in control of our data and we want to eliminate the ability for centralized entities to be able to manipulate it and to, you know, to be in control of our communication or our data or our value or anything we really own that's, you know, that lives on the internet. Um, but from an economic standpoint, the more adoption we gain on these platforms, inherently the more valuable they could become. And so it's just understanding that crypto has both an individualized aspect and uh, an aspect of it as a whole in terms of the collective um, in which we are society together and we're pushing forward for, you know, these values to be accepted and to actually take place. Yeah. And I mean, like a, a large part of a, a lot of crypto technology is this whole game theory aspect, you know, is it more worthwhile to actually invest in a system and create value versus, you know, be completely isolated from the blockchain. And so, you know, we see more and more people actually contributing to this infrastructure and creating more value for themselves, both to increase their, the value of their investments, but also to just benefit everyone as a whole. So, you know, we see both the individuals and collectivist aspects come together to form one sort of movement. Yeah, no doubt. We need to be able to share ideas with each other in order to really move forward as a collective. If we stay individual, then that's kind of highlighting the problem of this entire movement. So it's really just about being able to actually democratize all, like our values and be able to 
you know, achieve the goals that all of us want as a community. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, another thing that uh, I wanted to cover, I guess, is just optimism and its relation to the funding of public goods. So basically what optimism is, is an optimistic roll up, which is a scaling solution for ether that we will go over another day. But, you know, for right now, I just wanted to highlight this whole idea of retroactive public goods funding. So right now, you know, you see the nonprofit and the for-profit environment where nonprofits are really just surviving and they're getting a, uh, investments and everything, but it's just the bare minimum. And then we see for-profits thriving in terms of providing value. And so what retroactive public goods funding seeks to do is instead of, you know, paying a tax and not getting distributed to uh, places that uh, ser serve the public good, it's having the community actually vote and understand retroactively who has benefited the public good the most. And in that sense, you can actually fund people and allow people to thrive when they're benefiting the public good and benefiting the common good instead of sort of having them live off of their the bare means. And so, you know, with this whole retroactive approach, you can understand who was useful and from that have a material view of value creation and thus you can have a salary to those who have contributed the most to the environment. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I don't even think I have to say much about this. You kind of nailed it. Yeah, uh, actually, something I wanted to come yeah, before we go into the next thing. You know, a lot of what taxes do is, you know, it's people paying a portion of their income or, or what they've earned in order to fund a public good. And so this is using protocol fees and, you know, things generated from the blockchain that aren't people's property and what people own. And so it's distributing that to those who are helping the public good instead of having taking from other people in order to find something that others need. Yeah. And, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just saying, well, we're going to cover this later, but it's also, you know, the idea of decentralizing our communication and being able to actually give back in terms of the revenue, such as like the advertising revenue back to the users. And so it just always always keeping on the forefront, allowing the users to be in control of the network and be, and as the network gains success, um, you know, benefit, reaping the rewards of, of that adoption. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's empowering the individual, you know, yeah. instead of corporations delegating funds, it's the individual receiving what he rightfully has earned. Yeah. And then again, economic and social incentive. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. Another thing that was covered in the ETH Denver conference was this whole lobby three DAO. And so, if you guys listened to our podcast last week or watched our video, you know, you would have heard that we were talking about a lot of regulation in the field and how not only is it coming, but it's also necessary because those who know more than others will always take advantage of them. And so if you don't have this regulatory protection, then you don't have safety on the network. And so what we see with lobby three DAO is the connection between the web three users and DC. And so, you know, we want proper regulations, but we also want it in line with Web3 ideals. And so through the community actively participating in this Lobby3 DAO, we can have individuals empowered to make a difference in the regulatory sh shifts for crypto environments. And so we can prioritize policies that are aligned with the crypto ideals. Yeah, I mean, part of the problem with the space right now, other than just being able to, you know, hack or scam, um, is just the idea of the, like a rug pull. So basically anyone can create a project and promise all these things, which, you know, it's very incentivizing to an investor, 
um, but they don't necessarily have to go through and actually, you know, tackle the, the goals in which they're laying out in a roadmap. So, I mean, I think last week there was multiple examples of individual players profiting like 1.5 million on uh, token releases and NFT projects that basically as soon as they minted or as soon as they tokenized, they just pulled everything and were just like, I don't need to create this anymore. I already made so much money. And that's a big problem. So that's a part of the reason we need regulation. Basically, nobody should be able to create a project unless and actually release it to the public um, and allow for, you know, retail investors to be involved unless it is proven that they're going to go through and actually, um, you know, tackle what they're what they're trying to achieve. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just a useless investment and it's just a straight up rug pull. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like we talk about this every week, but we emphasize this whole due diligence process when you're uh, doing your investments. You know, you have to understand who the dev team is and what their plans are and their ability to actually do those plans because you don't have a regulatory environment that forces them to actually act on what they're saying. Yeah, sorry. I was just saying, like, it's, it's gotten a lot more sneaky now. Like, you know, as these loopholes exist, there's always going to be ways for people to expose them and to find even sneakier ways to exploit, you know, a retail investor. And I think there was, I mean, Serial Club, Squishies, uh, Fishy Fam. There was like multiple NFT projects that came out this month where all the devs were doxxed. So basically they checked that box for a retail investor who was, you know, fell victim to that scam in the first place. But like I said, they basically released a project with a super ambitious roadmap that they never intended to go through with. And then it's like, you know, right after Mint, they basically just pulled the project, deleted the Discord. And then that's that. You just lose a lot of money as a retail investor that way. So there's a lot of, there's not just one box you need to check. Like these investments are risky for a reason in terms of the risk curve, you know, from a financial standpoint. Like you really, really need to be doing your research before you throw money at something. Yeah. I mean, you just can't take for granted what you take for granted in public markets. Exactly. Investor presentations where companies are going over what they plan to do in the future. Like they are, they have legal requirements where they have an extent to which they can like guess what their future is going to be like. But for crypto projects, you have no regulatory body at all that's telling you, oh, you need to follow this path if you're going to say this. And so, you know, you have to just use your own insight at this point. And in the future, hopefully there will be regulatory bodies that would actually align crypto projects and protect the investors. Yeah, I mean, it's understandable to want to get into the space because you see, you know, 100x gains or or this super massive ability to generate alpha. But I'm telling you, the longer you're in this space, your mindset kind of just works backwards, which is like kind of a funny thing. Like you get in because you see this massive potential to make money and then you kind of work backwards. And like, at least from from my standpoint or my experience, I, I went from like wanting to find super low cap altcoins that can make me you know, potentially a million dollars in a day or an hour and then kind of work back to being like, wow, these layer ones are really going to be the underlying, you know, mainnet for all this value being created in a decentralized world. Um, And that's just personally where I invest. And, you know, I just tend to stay more on layer one protocols. Um, And I just think it's important to really, really understand what you're investing in because the tokenomics can be complicated and so can the actual technology itself. And so just be careful make sure you fully understand what you're doing. Yeah. Definitely. And if you ever have questions, put it in the discord. Like sure. you got 25 people willing yeah. to talk to you and, you know, help you out. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're a community. So, you know, we bounce ideas off of each other and we really go through it together. Yeah.
Uh, but yeah, you know, a really important event that happened this week was the Ukraine invasion. And so, you know, in February 2022, Russia invaded Ukraine. And a big threat that happened as a result of this was the threat of Russia being taken off of the SWIFT system, which would basically disconnect Russia from the global financial system. And so that would mean that Russia couldn't actually transfer any value between borders. And, you know, for oil and gas, it's meant that Russia wouldn't be able to give the EU one third of its oil production. And so, you know, we see this big shift where these threats are the centralized regulatory or centralized bodies that are saying, you know, we're threatening that you will be disconnected from the financial system. Whereas with crypto and a decentralized blockchain, you don't have anybody that can tell you, oh, you know, you can't do this transaction. You have an immutable ledger that cannot be changed and you can do whatever you want because there is no regulatory body that's forcing you to do something. And so, you know, at the risk of an asset freeze and at the risk of everything else, there was this exchange called Kuna, which uh, had its trading volume increased 300% because everyone in Ukraine and Russia was transferring their value from their local currency to Bitcoin because, you know, they wouldn't be banned from that global financial system. And so we're seeing this utility of crypto in the fact that it is this global financial system that can replace SWIFT. And, you know, there's, there's projects like Ripple and others that seek to solve this issue as well. But we are seeing that fundamental value of a blockchain that's decentralized and not at the risk of centralized authority coming into play with the Ukraine invasion. Yeah. I mean, obviously, this was a really sad event. Like, you know, if you're as young as me and Ethan are, like, I almost feel bad that how it makes me feel bad how desensitized we are to like really like big world events happening, you know, living through COVID and now this, it's just kind of like, it just felt like weird. Just like when this happened, it just almost didn't even feel like that out of the ordinary, but it's obviously just such an awful thing. And like prayers go out to people in Ukraine. But I mean, I remember just sitting on my computer and I wasn't watching the news. Like the first thing I saw was the crypto market just fall a cliff. And I was like, what just happened? I was yeah. like, I was like, I, I like, I immediately went to CNBC and just was like, saw the alert that Russia um, had, had announced war on, on Ukraine. And I was like, wow, like that is crazy. And I, I remember watching the crypto market literally fall off so hard, but then just rip back with like an absolute FU candle. And that just went to, that just goes to show, I mean, like crypto is a solution to these problems. The centralized entities actually in a time of war, like a black swan event, actually being able to, you know, like affect the market like that and having um, a decentralized system that, that, you know, the people on the network, it can really avoid problems like this. I mean, it's, I definitely don't want to highlight it too much because it's just such an awful event. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just shows the power of Bitcoin just absolutely ripping after this happened. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's returning to one of the fundamental value propositions of cryptocurrency as a whole is like this hedge against economies that are have high inflation or, you know, unsustainable financial policies. And so you're seeing a, a decentralized exchange that doesn't have any government that's dictating yeah. economic policy and no inflation of the currency. And so... And like, you know, when like when governments go to war, they print money to be able to you know fund war efforts. And like, obviously, that's not something that's going to happen. With Bitcoin. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, you're just not at risk of a centralized body sacrificing the value that you have that you rightfully own. Yeah. And that all gets complicated with wanting government regulation and actually wanting the government to embrace 
Bitcoin or layer one uh, protocols as a store of value. But I mean, in terms of where we are right now, it's just kind of a hedge against our system. Yeah, for sure. This is sick. Yeah. So basically, I mean, I was on Twitter the other day. I put it in the discord, the mega mutant, the, I don't even know which number it is, but basically there's only up until the, the actual Twitter live, there was only three mega mutants of the board API club collection that, ha- or sorry, the mutant API club collection that hadn't been re- uh, uh, released yet through the serums. And the, the third to last was released about a week ago on a Twitter live. Um, and basically the people that were in the live were just like some of the most, some of the biggest leaders in the space, OBX1, Axel Ape, um, just a bunch of big, other big names. If you're an NFT guy like me, that you're just, that I've been following for a really long time. And one of the coolest things is that, so OBX1 is basically, he's a DeFi legend. He's worth over $450 million in Ethereum. And he's the one who actually, uh, used his serum to make the trippy mutant. Um, that we saw on the on the Twitter AMA. Uh, but basically, one of the coolest things that was happening was when I was on the, on the stream was all these big names in the NFT world were just just dox themselves that night. And basically, they were like, look, like, we're kind of at this point where like Board Ape Yacht Club is going to go into like its second phase in terms of like metaverse. Um, integration and just also just like this this idea of like we've completed our first roadmap and now we're going to see what we're going to do next whether that's you know creating uh, a, a tv show or, or whatever you know the the leaders behind there are ready to move on from just being a, a standard pfp project and actually provide a lot more value um for such a, for such a um for such a great asset but they all doxed themselves that night. And basically one of them who doxed themselves was this guy, Axel Ape, who also announced this, which is the BBS.market. And it's basically our first real version of a decentralized communication platform. And it's basically what it's, what it's trying to be is like a decentralized Twitter um, where all the advertising revenue on the, uh, on the mainnet actually goes back to the owners of the network. So basically you pay a fee to be on the network um, and to actually get access to everything that's on this Twitter-based communication system, or sorry, um, Reddit-based communication system. And then, you know, everything that happens and as this mainnet actually gains adoption, you'll actually, if you were in early, you can make a lot of money just, you know, by supporting the adoption of, the, of this um, of this of this mainnet. And so it's just really cool to see that like, you know, we've been talking about this for a long time, decentralizing our communication. Obviously, layer one platforms are just nowhere near where it takes to be at millions of transactions per second. But this is 100% a step in the right direction. Yeah. And I mean, when you think about Reddit, you think about these subreddits and, you know, pages that gain adoption and have more and more followers. And then you see Reddit capitalize on that following through advertising. And so what's happening is Reddit is capitalizing on the user base and user activity instead of the users benefiting from the value they're adding to the site. Yeah. And so now what we're seeing is users willing to take that dive and put in the initial capital to become a contributing member, benefiting back from their own contribution. And so by owning the NFTs as posts and um, ad space, you know, you can actually create your own value instead of being subordinate to the institution like Reddit. 
Yeah. And this is something where it's like, if you're watching this video right now, for, which hopefully people are, but if you're, if you're watching this video right now, you might be like, I've never heard of this bbs.net or whatever. But like, I'm telling you in a year from now, this is going to be one of our biggest crypto uh, communication platforms. And people, people will know this name, like they know OpenSea. Yep. Um, and also just like important to note that Reddit basically is a communication system for communities. So the first communities we've seen are like big Star Wars communities on here. Um, there's just one that's kind of like like the crypto community. Um, and there's just like a lot of different sub communities that are basically looking to incentivize their fans and their users through, uh, you know, tokenization. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think one's called literally crypto banter. Like it's yeah. just, it's people coming together that have a passion for a specific subject and bringing value. And so they're being monetized for that value they're bringing. And it's, you know, it's, it's not so complex thinking about it that way. And, you know, frankly, that's what it should be. Yeah. It's like a mainnet with sub sub communities that are like individual DAOs, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, something I want to highlight about the VBS market is, you know, it's so early and it's so early in its moderation phase. You could see things like OpenSea happening where there's phishing scams because it is, at the end of the day, censorship resistant. And so, yeah. you know, as a platform developer, you're going to have those kinks as well. And what we've seen with OpenSea is probably going to happen again. If it's not BBS market, it could be something else. I mean, like, this is just ridiculous, dude. Like, I'm just going to pull it up. Like, the fact that, oh, of course, now it's not up there. But, like, I swear to God, every day I see the the banner up here that says migrate your listings. Like, they still can't figure this out. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's just bad, dude. Like, for a platform that has, like we said, like, billions of dollars in assets to just like be that vulnerable to a hack yeah. and then still whatever it is a week later like people not knowing about it and still clicking on that like my brother texted me yeah. um and and he's a big nft guy and he was like do i need to migrate my listings and i was like absolutely do not like <laughs> yeah just crazy crazy yeah so i mean at the end of the day you know regulation is going to help with that in the future but for right now it's all about the individual looking out for himself yeah and we really need like coinbase nft to just come out as soon as possible <laughs> and just like be the market leader for the nft space because they're they're a super regulated centralized exchange that has the power to really be the market leader for nfts right now for sure yeah another important event that happened is the 2016 dow hacker was actually found and so there's uh earlier we saw that bitfinex and its hack had been solved and it had been tracked and now we're seeing this 2016 and now it's 2022 we're seeing the this DAO hacker finally found. And so basically what had happened was there was this original DAO called the DAO. Uh, and it was essentially this crowdfunding platform that would fund Web3 projects. But there was a bug in the code that allowed for 3.6 million Ether to be drained. And but what had happened was, you know, all these people had put in money and then this guy just kept on siphoning out Ether after Ether. And so with the utilization of Chainalysis, they actually decrypted and followed the transactions from a CoinJoin wallet called Wasabi and found the original user, which his name is Toby. And so, you know, what we're seeing is this development of on-chain analysis and this mitigation of the sort of myth that crypto is used for illegal acts. Because frankly, from the from looking at this, you can see, you know, you can't be unknown on this site. There's if your identity is tied to anything, which it has to be for a lot of things, then you will be tracked and your your transactions are visible on the blockchain. Like every the whole point of the blockchain is for everyone to see it. And so if everyone's seeing your transactions, and that should be a good thing. Like, 
I mean, for the people that scares, it scares me that you, you're scared by that because, you know, I mean, unless you're just like trying to exploit people, there's no reason not to be for, for your transactional history, not to be public on, on, a, on the ledger. Like, yeah. like that's exactly what we want. We don't want, you know, behind the doors, weird things going on. Like we don't know who pulls the strings in our system today. Like, and that's something that scares a lot of people who are, who are crypto maximalists. Like it's just the idea of like, we want to know what's going on. We want it to be very transparent. And I mean, if this is, and, and if our mainnet's being manipulated, I want to be able to see it yeah. and be, and I want to be able to, you know, fix it. Yeah. And I mean, as we progress in this field, it's only going to get more and more in depth and the analysis is only going to get more and more accurate. So, you know, unless you're completely off the internet and like have a hard wallet that's completely disconnected from everything, you are going to have that track to your original identity because that's frankly what's going to happen with regulation and, you know, know your customer laws. It's going to be integrated into the crypto ecosystem and it's going to just have to be the reality of crypto in the future. Yeah. I mean, there are straight up criminals in the in the crypto space right now that are just, you know, walking sky free. So, yeah. But yeah, I mean, with the 2016 DAO hacker, we also wanted to highlight the story of Ethereum Classic. So basically, we, we had already talked about the DAO, which is a crowdfunding platform or crowdfunding DAO that allowed for Web3 projects to be developed through the funding of the user base. And so as this 3.6 million Ether was siphoned out, the community essentially had a disagreement and was wondering whether or not they would continue on the original blockchain with all of those transactions gone. And the primary use of the Ethereum ecosystem at that point being um, just vanishing because you know all the liquidity was taken out by the Ether transactions. And so what had happened was the community decided that they were going to do a hard fork. And so what a hard fork was, is was that the blockchain would no longer accept the older version of that blockchain. And so the older transactions, which was that DAO hack, would no longer be validated. And so that DAO hack was transferred to a new blockchain called Ethereum Classic. And so Ethereum Classic is considered this pure value of Ethereum where the actual transactions that happened, the actual hack that happened, are still on the chain. Whereas the Ethereum you see nowadays is the, all the values restored to the people that were in the DAO. And so that transaction was essentially mitigated in the new blockchain. And now we're sort of living in this environment where that transaction never happened. And so there's this whole controversy with the lawsuit that's, that, might, that may happen with the 2016 DAO hacker, because in reality, nobody actually lost value. They all got their ETH returned to them and nowadays, if they still had their ETH, they'd have a significantly more profit than um, the Ethereum Classic holder. And so, you know, it's a matter of did he use? I, I don't know the legal uh, the legal ecosystem, but yeah. you know, did he take the value from them because they got the value returned? Yeah, I mean, one hundred percent. This is like one of the coolest parts. Uh, I mean, just about like developers on Solidity, right? Like when you have really smart people who know how to solve computer science problems working on this stuff every day i mean you have to assume that these platforms and and, and this ecosystem is just going to continue to multiply in terms of adoption because it's just going to continue to get better and better until one day we're all like why aren't we using this stuff you know and that's why you see companies like apple and and visa actually allowing for 
payment systems that are that are utilizing crypto. I mean, just because it's the future, like this, this space isn't going away. And if anything, it's just can continue to improve. Yeah, I mean, there's this whole economic incentive, you know, will, will you hack a co- or exploit a bug in, in code because it will benefit you and you'll make profit off of it? And the answer is yes. If you're capable of doing it, you will do it. Yeah. And so it's a matter of really encouraging innovation. And, you know, we see that in algorithmic stable coins as well, you know, the only way that those can maintain their peg to the dollar is through game theory and people having the incentive to invest in a coin when it's under a dollar and sell the coin when it's over a dollar so that it maintains that stable peg. And so we're seeing that whole ideology really transfer to the entire ecosystem. Yeah. And I think like, I mean, look, like when, when a network gets hacked, it's a blessing and a curse, right? Because it's terrible for the people that are losing their assets and, and people who are basically getting things stolen from them, such as their value. Um, but on, on the other end of that, it's just highlighting problems that need to be fixed. And like we've said multiple times, there are the, some of the most brilliant minds in the world working on this stuff every single day. And if you're highlighting a problem right in front of their face for them to fix, they're going to go fix it. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then also, like, I, I just have a personal theory in, in terms of Ethereum, which is just this, they're, they're, what they're trying to implement is sharding, which is taking the entire database and actually breaking it into smaller pieces so that the, the main net, network doesn't get overloaded. And so basically, we're taking everyone's data, we're putting it in small little chunks, and we're spreading it out versus it all being, you know, clumped together and like being able to overpower the, the main net. And I think that'll make it harder for hacks to happen because... When, when everyone's data is in one, you know, pool, it's easier to get to get access to that. But if it's it's spread out and it's not able to be and, and it's all uh, protected by private keys, mm-hmm. then it's just a lot harder and a lot smaller hacks are going to happen. Yeah. And I mean, then again, it, it's all about what code is used, what mechanism is used to actually fund those transactions, validate those transactions, you know, use ZK rollups optimistic rollups, all these layer two solutions uh, along with sharding. And so it's a matter of what you use, how it's used and the efficacy of that usage. Yeah. I mean, after, after the merge to proof of stake, I mean, implementing sharding and the fact that we already have Polygon, which is a layer two solution that already improves our TPS by thousands of transactions per second. I personally think Ethereum could achieve 200 TPS, 200,000 TPS. Yeah. And that would be, that's when you could really see decentralized communication systems really coming into play. Right now, it's just hard with 15 to 1,000 transactions per second. But when you start getting the hundreds of thousands, kind of like approaching the million mark, that's really where you could see that happening. Yeah. And as transaction speed increases, mass adoption increases. And as mass adoption increases, the entire efficiency of the platform increases. And so we're just going to see a continuous cycle of growth and you know perfection and we're going to see this whole ecosystem turn around and create this something that we couldn't even imagine today yeah i mean i would just say just to wrap up just like on the russia ukraine stuff like obviously we've seen that be good for crypto this week but like we we weren't trying to highlight that i mean it's a terrible event and we just hope that you know we, we don't want black swan events to happen in any financial market so yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. we are looking at it in a lens of crypto, but it, it's important not to be sort of negligent. To, to yeah, we just wanted to highlight why it kind of empowers the need for crypto. 
and the need for a blockchain. But other than that, it's just a terrible event. Yeah. But anyways, we appreciate you guys reaching the end of this video. And uh, for those who are watching on the podcast, thank you for listening. All right, guys. Have a nice night. We'll talk to you soon. Yep. Bye. See ya.